In your Bibles, please, for our first reading, our New Testament reading, and that will be Ephesians chapter 6, as we close out Paul's letter. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench <clears throat> all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known unto you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ, in sincerity. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Some of you may have a line after verse 24 there 
that says, written from Rome unto the Ephesians by Tychicus. That's not in the Bible. That's not a part of the inspired text. That's an ancient idea or tradition that has attached itself to the text. Okay? All right. So we come now to chapter 6. And in this first instance, you know, the first word is children. But we want to violate the chapter break here once again and understand that Paul is continuing his discussion of domestic duties. In Scripture, there are three spheres of authority, right? There's the family, there's the church, and then there is the commonwealth or the government, the civil estate. And so notice what Paul does here is that he is descending down in all of these relationships. Earlier he talked about wives submitting to your husbands, husbands loving your wives. Um, And then um, now he will speak to the children and then he will speak to fathers and mothers Uh, specifically in the term father, and then as many households in that day uh, had domestic servants, or we would call them today slaves. So as a part of him speaking to the domestic relationships of the day, he speaks to that as well. It's a very simple idea, and yet hotly contested and disputed in our day. There are some Christian folks that, that um, that would attempt to use the Bible to speak um, against slavery uh, of any sort, that it is a moral evil, essentially, in its essence, it is an evil. It is obvious to the most casual reader of the Bible, however, that that's not the case, that that's something that's been imposed on the Scripture. There is such a thing as biblical slavery. As a matter of fact, the way it is, it is identified, and we'll see a little bit more of this in our Old Testament reading today, the way it is identified and and regulated in Scripture makes it truly a benevolent institution. Did you? Yeah, I know. That's dissonant in our age, right? Slavery and benevolence? No, no, no. Slavery is always cruelty and, and, uh, and meanness and whipping and scourging and breaking men down until they are no longer... No, 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 it's not that. Not biblically. Not essentially. Otherwise, God would not have given it to his people, his ancient people of old, and here regulates it in Ephesians chapter 6. But I digress. Let's, let's start with chapter 6, verse 1, and the children. Children first. Now, children, this is one of those, those instances where God speaks directly to you. People run loose on the landscape all the time. Oh, I wish I had a word from God. Would God speak to me? Children, here God speaks to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. We're going to talk a little bit about longevity in the second service today, uh, in the sermon from Proverbs 10. But here it is right before us. So children, the command to you is to obey your parents. It's not an absolute command. This is why Paul will turn to the fathers and say, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't command them to do things that are unlawful. Instead, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But notice here with children, obey your parents and then these next three words, in the Lord, for this is right. 
there are two things I think we need to glean from obedience in the Lord. The first thing is that all of our obedience is in the Lord. No one, no human being has absolute sway over our conscience. Only God is Lord of the conscience and he has made it free from the doctrines and commandments of men. Now we are to obey those who have lawful authority over us even in indifferent things because it is their responsibility for the good order of their society. The place we always go to prove this is speed limit laws. Right? These are public roads. We need some regulation on those roads. And so who provides that? Our civil magistrate. And he has a way that he can, he can provide that and enforce it that he will give an answer for based on his protection of life under his purview and the sixth commandment. Okay? All right. So we can argue whether that's an overreach or not. That's, we don't need to do that right now. What we do need to understand, though, is that that obedience is in the Lord, even to indifferent things from lawful authority. It's indifferent as to whether or not uh, the, the, the elders of this church call the worship service at 10 or 10.30. It's indifferent. But beloved, if you start coming at 10.30 every week, sooner or later the elders are going to want to talk to you about that. Right? That's an indifferent command, and yet it is something that we all hear, and our obedience is in the Lord, because this is a point of order where we all come together, which truly is commanded. So it's that circumstantial obedience that is helpful. The second thing is that Paul is speaking to the children of believing parents. And so your obedience children is in the Lord in that way. That is, that you are a Christian child. And so your obedience ought to represent your Christianity. Your obedience to the Lord generally. Right? Your obedience ought to be different from the obedience of those out there in the world who do not have a Christian profession as a child. You're raised in a Christian home. And so, so your obedience is in the Lord. You obey your parents in order to please the Lord Jesus. Which ought to be the desire of your heart. And we ought to be grieved when we move outside of that. Okay, so children obey your parents in the Lord. And notice it says, children obey your parents... And not uh, anybody else. Now there are uh, there are there are applications in the fifth commandment, but children, your primary obedience is to your parents in this world. Okay, and there's a there's a reciprocal responsibility there, also. That is that your parents are the ones responsible to bring you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, the Lord does not require obedience from you children without, if I can put it very colloquially, without providing a promise to you in that too. The promise is of long life, as so far as it shall serve for God's glory and your good. And we're going to see also that in the study of longevity in Scripture, that sometimes even believing people are taken out of this world prematurely, but they are uh, taken out as a blessing and not as a curse. And we'll see that later. Okay, so notice also that, that this has been adapted. The fifth commandment is now changed a little bit. All the moral duty is still there. But notice that the blessing has been changed. Right? 
we just heard a few moments ago um, that thou mayest live long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Because that was related to the Abrahamic promise of the land. Now that thou mayest live long on the earth. Because the land promise is not effective anymore. It's not in effect. That has been replaced by the worldwide domination of the kingdom of Christ and that heavenly reward that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and Enos look for. Enoch look for. Okay? All right, so that through uh, verse 3. Now verse 4. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So first of all, when it says fathers there, the mothers are included in that. Ladies, you're not, you know, oh, well, the command goes to him. I can do it. <laughs> no. We understand that this brings father and mother together as that unit. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing, provoke not your children to wrath. And there are many ways that can be done by commanding things unlawful, by commanding things outside of their ability to perform. Right? By changing and being inconsistent. All kinds of things with regard to parenting that... You know, we have learned over the years in our study. I'll refer you to our uh, to our uh, sermon series just a few months or I don't know years back. I don't remember. Sorry, I can't I can't pull that out. Um, raising uncommon children is what we is what we talked about from Leviticus 19. Raising uncommon children in our duties of holiness out of First Peter one. So it's not that long ago, but it's not yesterday either. Okay, so um, then uh, you know a, a review of the fifth commandment would be in order in, as it's set forth in the larger catechism for, uh, for what's required of superiors, inferiors, and equals, as we said last week. Okay, now uh, now we're going to turn to servants. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. A couple more things. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There are people today that think. That the, that the bringing up of children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is somehow the church's responsibility. Parents, we're here to help, but it's your responsibility. And we're going to call on you to do that. We're going to call on you as a session to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That means praying with and for them. That means family worship regularly. That means instruction and discipline that means correction and, yes, even the rod. It means all of those things. That's what the nurture and admonition of the Lord is. It also means that they are owed a Christian education and they are owed a spiritual education in the public ordinances as well. We don't have a nursery here. The reason we don't have a nursery is because they're unbiblical. Our children belong with us here in the worship service. We, we all remember the standard. You know, we... We all remember the standard and how far short we fall. But if we don't have a standard, we don't have anything to shoot for. What is the standard? That every member of the church, whether a baptized member or a full communicant member, and all the visitors that would come on, on the Lord's Day, would be here 15 minutes before the service, sitting down preparing for worship, being in the service for the entirety of the worship service without needing to take a break, and then would come and do it again at 2 o'clock. That's the standard. It doesn't mean we're all going to mean it. And it doesn't mean we're going to be monitors and write down every time somebody goes out. Or we're going to keep track of whether you're here or not. We don't do that. You do that. And you do that for the folks over which the Lord has placed you in that spiritual, spiritually responsible 
place. And that's part of the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Have family worship at home um, in that in that ever-widening circle so that your children learn first at home how to sit through a service and then they begin to do that. I mean, we've, we've seen great blessing in our own midst. Children that have learned to sit through a worship service and not only just to sit through it and color, but even in their capacity to take part in the service, to sing when everybody sings. Well, they may, may not be singing the exact words with us and on the same tune, but they sing with us. They stand with us. They sit with us, Right? They're in the same room with us. They, we do all of those things together as God's people. And they begin to understand where they belong every Sabbath day, don't they? And those are habits that they form very, very early. And it's part of their nurture. Christian nurture is a wonderful, wonderful, but largely forgotten idea. Christian nurture is not Sunday school materials taught to children of the same age group in a class by someone who's not their mother or father. That's not Christian nurture. Christian nurture, biblically, is right here in Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I can show you passage upon passage upon passage in Scripture where that responsibility is laid at the feet of the parents. And so we will, we, we will be here, parents, to help you, to, to help you with materials, to help you with ideas, to help you with even discipline and other kinds of ecclesiastical nurture. But the church makes a poor parent and we can never take your place. All right. The best thing that I can say about the nursery is the placard on the front of it which I thought was an interesting and humorous way to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. (laughs) Okay, so now we move on to servants. Servants, and and so we have this, this understanding here of servitude in the New Testament. Notice that slavery is not just an Old Testament thing that's regulated. It's also regulated in the New Testament. This passage, the passage in Colossians chapter 4, sorry, chapter 3, and then also the passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and many other places in the Old and New Testament, we have the concept of servitude as a benevolent institution. Uh, The reason people don't understand it today is because what we do instead is we make the entirety of the society, in some sense, slave to supporting other people that can't support themselves. Right? We take from some set of people and we give money to other set of people that cannot them, th- themselves afford it without any benefit. And th- this, is the, this is the illicit nature of it. That if someone cannot support themselves and they sell their labor to you as a family, you get a benefit from that. If the state takes your money and gives that to someone else, guess what? You don't get a benefit from that. You've paid for something that you don't get a benefit for. That's what we call in Scripture not, not an exchange, but theft. So it's important that we recognize that in the ancient world, there was a greater honor and a greater respect, this is interesting, for people's private property than there is today. That property was taken away in our day to support someone who could not or would not work for himself. And by By so doing then, the state takes the place of a family, and then what happens? Chaos ensues. 
That'll always be the case when we step outside the scripture norms. The God who made us has ordered our society in the broad strokes. And we do well to listen to him. All right, with that said then, uh, concerning the institution, let's go ahead and talk about what Paul says to servants. They are also to be obedient to their masters according to the flesh. That is, those earthly masters of theirs. With fear and trembling and singleness of heart, notice, as unto Christ. As children obey, obeying Christ, so servants obey, obeying Christ as well. Notice that their service is in the Lord. As Paul will say in 1 Timothy 6, just because your master's a Christian doesn't mean you can do whatever you want and you can require him to let you go. No, you serve him all the more because he's a brother and beloved of the Lord and partaker of the benefit that you serve. Your service to the Lord is, is even more blessed because it's service to a Christian brother. That's what Paul will say. All right, so then notice that, but they are to be sincere not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God, notice, from the heart, with goodwill doing service, as to the Lord and not to men. So Christian slaves are required to serve the more, especially their Christian masters. And then notice we have, um, not, uh, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same he shall receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And so now we can make the application not just to uh, slaves and masters, but to laborers and their employers, whether he be bond or free. And so in all of that, we are to serve the Lord. If we're not a slave per se, but say a day worker, and you know, in scripture there are three levels. There's the master, then there's the slave, and then there's the hireling, right? And the hireling... Um, you know, at least the slave has some interest in the house that he works for. A hireling doesn't even have that. Okay, and, but notice that we all are, are called upon to serve the Lord. Then he will turn to the masters, Paul does. You do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master is also in heaven, neither is there any respect of persons with him. And so this does away with any idea of cruelty. There is no cruelty that the Bible allows for in this institution, this social institution of slavery that handles quite exquisitely the difficulty that Jesus will iterate to us when he says, the poor you will always have with you. Well, how do we handle our poor? The Bible tells us how. The state has chosen something else instead and in so doing has made indeed more than slaves slaves. They've made the slaves 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 of the, of the institution, right? Institutional government. But also, they've made everyone else who must, who are then forced to offer up for those others. Slaves as well. Uh, it, it's a way, it's certainly a way for the state to amass power to itself. Notice what the Bible does is at every opportunity, when it's possible, the Bible presses authority downward and outward and broadens it rather than centralizing it. Centralized power, even scripturally speaking, is not good. The church is never made to be a centralized, authoritative power. Right? The root court is, is the presbytery. Okay. Very good. So now we move to verse 10. And we begin speaking about the whole armor of God. The introduction to that is verses 10 through 13. And in that introduction we learn a, a, a couple of things that 
Number one, we are always under attack from the devil. Don't fall for the trap of, oh, I'm under a satanic attack. You're always there. He's always there. He's always tempting you, himself and his minions. They're always there, tempting. It's not, a, it's not something that comes and goes. The only thing that comes and goes is our recognition of it. Right? Uh, Paul says, we wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. A fourfold synonymy. Remember the synonymy in the book of Ephesians. Three times Paul uses that that device to talk about something that is essentially the same with small nuanced differences between them. Okay, so we are to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice what he doesn't say. Stiffen up your lip. He doesn't say, steal yourself. It's the armor of God, beloved. We are no match for the enemy of our soul. Unless we take up the armor of God, we're easy prey. Right? So remember that. It's the armor of God that we must take up. And notice, it is the whole armor of God. Not just a piece of it that we must take up. Okay? Having done all then to stand. And so notice we have the use of means here. Really good use of means. We don't trust in means, but we do take them up. This is important that we should not just, you know, hang back and let God do everything. He does do everything, but he does it through means, beloved. It's through these means that he, that he helps us to stand. So, your loins girt about with truth. Having the loins girt in scripture language is your readiness. So you're always ready with the truth. You're founded upon the truth. Your going forth is upon the truth. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. Your vitals are protected through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Remember that. It's not your own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then as he has justified you, so then that sanctification outworks from that justification as well and keeps you from those slavish things that enslave others. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Here Paul would reference Isaiah, what is it, 52 I think it is. Isaiah 52 and Romans chapter 10. Where notice the ministry of the gospel are said to have beautiful feet because they bring the gospel of peace. But notice that this is also the office of everyone at least to have a testimony to the gospel of Christ. When we're asked the hope that lies within us. Above all taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. He is shooting at you. The wicked here is uh, haponeros, which means the wicked one. I think that would be a better translation. And then take the helmet of salvation. That is your, your, uh, your most vital part, your head. It is covered in salvation. And then you also have this other defensive weapon, this sword of the spirit, right? Which, by which you parlay. And then thrust. Right? But it's parlay and then thrust. It's not thrust and then parlay. It's parlay and then thrust. Right? And then finally, the last piece of armor, which is sometimes forgotten. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. 
So notice we have importunity. Often uh, prayers, uh, uh, our, our prayers would be offered up often and they are to be comprehensive. Uh, supplication for all saints and our prayers are to be in the spirit. That is with the spirit's guidance and help. And then Paul will say, and for me, and so we ought to be praying for the advance of the gospel here, that the gospel may go forth boldly. And Paul will then also say, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. Then we have a a few housekeeping issues. Paul will send to them Tychicus that he may keep them apprised. It's good to have news of one another that we might pray uh, intelligently one for another. And so we want to keep in touch one with another. And then also we have the apostolic benediction at the end and the closing out of the book. Well, we're past time. Let's go ahead and stand and call upon the Lord in prayer.